ho ho, it's me, Harvey Picard, back at it again with a new episode of the Boy Time Podcast, and as always, I'm joined by Babby. We have uh, quite an episode planned. I don't know why I said it like that. It's a normal (laughs) episode. Uh, Yeah, so it's our first week after the Desert Marathon, so... Uh, I think I may have had a little bit of whiplash to that, and I just barely watched anything this week. I watched a movie yesterday, and that was pretty much it. I watched a couple episodes of The Sopranos, but I'm not going to talk about that on this podcast until Babby finishes it, and then we'll probably do a boy time feature about it. Were you? I would, I would imagine so. Yeah. Um, which, speaking of... I guess maybe, I don't know if at the top is the best place to announce this, but next week we're having another boy time feature for the David Lynch film Blue Velvet. Yes, sir. So if you are interested on that, it's going to be probably pretty similar to our Disco Elysium one, um, which you've probably seen because that one was one of our most viewed podcast episodes uh, in a while. So thanks for the support on that. But if you want something else, uh, this time it's going to be a movie, a David Lynch movie, which uh, we both have. You have probably more positive thoughts on David Lynch's art than I do. But I only think Twin Peaks is like the second best show of all time. So I, I, I don't know if I would go that far, <laughs> but I do really like it. Um, but I, I have not made a list of all of the TV shows that I think are the best. Um, so join us for that. Again, similar to our Disco Elysium, I imagine we're going to have very different uh, takes on it. I, I imagine so, yeah. I have not seen it yet, so I can't say anything about it yet. So I'll I think watch it's it. literally just Twin Peaks before Twin Peaks was a thing. Yeah. Because I think, no, I was going to say this isn't the one where, uh, I don't remember which came out first, Dune or Blue Velvet, but I think Dune may have came out, no, yes, I don't remember. Kyle McLaughlin's in both, and I don't know which one came out first. Um, But Dune also has uh, both... The fishing man who's like in every single one of David Lynch's movies and the guy who owns the gas station. Um, I think uh, Diane's in it too. Oh, is she? Yeah. That would make sense. So that's more like a Twin Peaks before Twin Peaks in the cast, but not so much in the vibe. Why are we talking about this? Let's save this material for next week. Next week. So we'll, we'll go through all that. But this week, kind of a slow week, you know. Um, hasn't been a whole lot in terms of news, I think. There was something going on that everybody was upset about. But I don't remember what it is. <laughs> and I, you know, uh, I obviously was not very invested. Um, oh, it was Starship Troopers. Everybody was, was up in arms because conservatives were saying that it wasn't a good satire or something and then people who've seen the movie say that it is i haven't so 
can't really give my opinion either way. But aside from that, it's been pretty slow in terms of what's going on in the sphere. So, took a slow week. Um, and I just watched one movie. But I'm going to go a little bit, you know, deeper into it since I'm only going to be talking about one. But I think it's a very, very good movie. And, uh... Yeah, I mean, I didn't really know what to expect going into it, but I saw the the hit, I think, 2003 movie, American Splendor. Um, so I knew nothing about it. It's a biopic. I knew nothing about the subject, uh, the, the subject being Harvey P. Carr, an underground comic artist that's that was active from, like, late 60s, early 70s, up until the 90s. And then this movie came out in the early 2000s. I think he may have released some stuff around that movie coming out. And then he died in 2010. So it does kind of, like, break, like, one of my, like, kind of cardinal rules of biopics and that I think for the most part, Biopics shouldn't be made about people who are alive, mainly for the, uh, you know, mainly for the point of that they usually have say in how they're depicted in, in their biopics if they are still alive. I mean, obviously. Um, and I think that kind of leads to uh, an inaccurate portrayal of the person, uh, which we kind of saw... I guess, with Bohemian Rhapsody, even though that one was mostly about Freddie Mercury. Uh, the two living members of the band were heavily involved in the writing process, and so they were not shown in a negative light at all, even though, you know, during the period that that movie covers, you know, they played in apartheid South Africa while everyone else was not performing there. Uh, but they don't show that. You know, that's that that gets erased from the books because Don't get me into Live Aid and what Live Aid really does. <laughs> well, yes, I, I, I know that. But it's just, uh, you know, it kind of. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I'm a little bit worried going in because I'm like, OK, this guy was still alive when they made this movie. How is that going to impact the movie? And I think this movie would have been way worse if the guy was dead because not only is this movie about him, he is in it all over the place. He is like the narrator. Uh, there's like parts where he's like recreating scenes that they're, that they've shot. And there's like talking heads moments in between scenes where they're like talking about like, what really happened and like what his experiences were with that moment in his life. And he's just such an interesting subject because he is like, uh, really kind of forthcoming about, uh, just everything that sucks about him, which is kind of interesting and why I think, this biopic doesn't fall into the pitfall of painting a, a, an overly positive picture of the subject and that it is this guy just always 
is like really upfront with like his own shortcomings and just kind of really frank, uh, you know, about everything, which I think maybe, you know, it was the seventies. I'm sure if I went back and read those comics, they would have been, you know, littered with all sorts of untasteful things. Um, but this movie doesn't really shine a light on those. I mean, I have no way to back that up. I was actually looking today like, okay, well, if I want to get a hold of this guy's comics, what do, what do I got to do? And, uh, getting like original prints is near impossible. I saw some listings on eBay for just the first issue going for anywhere from 250 to $600, depending on the condition. Um, there's some anthology books that have been released, uh, both before and after the movie, but obviously, you know, those are editing, you know, those are edited and, uh, you know, they cut some aspects of issues. And I, if I were to go through and read all of those comics, um, I would want an unedited version and it just seems like it's pretty hard to, to come across because most of these have not been reissued. So yeah, basically there was no way for me to know who this guy was before I watched this movie. Um, but yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting because, um, he was kind of friends. I think his name is, Oh, I don't remember his first name. His last name is crumb who was also an underground comic artist around that time. He came out with like Felix the cat. I think that was like his big one. And so like, uh, the thing with Harvey is that like, he never, he like, he can't draw, but he really wanted to get into comics. So like what he was doing was he was like sketching out comics with like stick figures. And then he was just writing the speech bubbles and then sending that out to like his illustrator friend who did Felix the cat, then he illustrated the comics and then that's how they kind of got published. It's kind of interesting. Um, and going forward throughout all of his comics, he, you know, employed different illustrators. So like over the course of the 17 issues that came out between the early seventies and the early nineties, they all have different, like completely different vibes. They're all by completely different artists. And I don't know if they were given any artistic direction or really base their illustrations on any of the previous ones. So they're all like really different, which is kind of interesting. Um, but yeah, this movie is, uh, you know, focused on that. It's, it's, I mean, it's a biopic. It's about this guy kind of, he was, you know, I would say late in like his, or I don't know, early middle ages, maybe. So like late thirties, probably around there when the movie starts, uh, he's been divorced twice. He's a file clerk at a hospital and has been for years now. Uh, he lives in a really trashy one bedroom apartment. Um, he seems averse to cleaning just in general, and he's just very unpleasant. Um, basically, no one really likes him, but 
uh, <laughs> you know, that's that's his charm, I guess. And I guess it does help that he is played by the man, the myth, the legend, Paul Giamatti, who uh, I just became a big fan of uh, when I saw The Holdovers. So I've been kind of wanting to go back and see some of his movies because I never really gave him the light of day, if I am being honest. So I want to go back and rectify that. But yeah, so it's a really great uh, representation of this guy's life. There's like crazy ups and downs. Like uh, he basically had like this pen pal um, because he's from Cleveland, which is unfortunate. But uh, he was he was a pen pal with someone from Delaware, and then they like met up once, and then like on the first night that they were together, she was like, "Yeah, let's get married," and like they just did like the weekend, the next weekend, uh, and they they were married until he died, and it's just like okay, okay, that's kind of crazy. Uh, he was also on Letterman a lot, which uh, you know. I don't really go back and watch old Letterman, so I didn't know that. Uh, but yeah, he was on there a lot. Um, I think there's a YouTube video that I saw of like all of his appearances on Letterman, uh, and it's like an hour and a half long because he was on there pretty regularly from like the middle of the 80s up until the early 90s when uh, he kind of blew up at Letterman on air and. Uh, was like wearing an anti NBC shirt, uh, because I don't, I don't know. The movie doesn't really go into why. Um, but NBC was like getting, there was like a strike or some sort of boycott. Something was going on at that time. And he basically snuck on, <laughs> I think he was like wearing a hoodie or something before. And then right before he went out, he took it off um, and then he just started going off at the network and Letterman for basically exploiting him and people like him to like sensationalize and kind of, you know, joke down at, um, which is kind of interesting because that's kind of where like his career plateaued after that is like, oh, well, we don't want to associate with this guy because he was right, basically. Um, <laughs> so... Yeah, it's kind of interesting that they chose to make a movie about him. Honestly, I'm more fascinated with the man than I am with the movie, even though the movie is very, very good uh, and a pretty accurate representation of the events from what I gather. I mean, I haven't really had a whole lot of time with it, but yeah, it does a whole lot of interesting things. This guy was like weirdly prolific for his time, uh, and like, which is just kind of weird to like see and that like, well, uh, I had never heard of him, but if you asked someone on the street in the late eighties, they probably would have known who Harvey Pickar was either based on his comics or, uh, his Letterman appearances or whatever. Um, but yeah, kind of interesting. I think I am going to like dig a little bit more into this guy's life and career, get more into his books. If I can find any copies of them, um, 
I know there's a couple anthology books. Maybe I'll track one of those down. But I'm just, uh, it's just a very fascinating man. He kind of reminds me of like, I was going to say an evil Woody Allen, but that's kind of, you know, yeah, that's already, uh, Woody Allen already is that. Uh, I don't know how to describe him. I guess a more chaotic Woody Allen. And I mean that in like how Woody Allen portrays himself in his movies. It's like very obsessive, compulsive, uh, you know, rude and unpleasant, but still kind of has this witty, dry sense of humor that is somewhat attractive to people. So he has that quality, but he's also just kind of like a gross dude. Like, it's just, it's just weird. Cause like you look at a picture of him and like, I've seen hundreds of, of people, uh, who look like him and you know, they're just like, uh, I don't want to like whatever, but it's just, I don't know. It's just weird. And, uh, yeah, he's a fascinating little dude. Uh, and he, he had a very interesting life. So I would highly recommend the movie. It's it's very, very interesting. I was hooked. Uh, basically, once I found out it was a biopic, I'm like, okay, here we go. It's, admittedly, they're not my favorite genre. Um, I feel like sometimes they're a little bit too overly affectionate. They have, like, rose-tinted glasses. Or they're trying to, like, be too grand and uh, all-encompassing which I feel like doesn't really do the subject any justice, you know? Uh, I'll, I'll watch a four-hour movie about Mahatma Gandhi. Uh, it's, uh, I, don't, I don't know if that really does anything to uh, learn anything about him other than it's just too much. You got to focus in. And I don't really care about subjects like that, you know? I think stuff like that just isn't really interesting, you know, because I already know about all of these people. Why would I watch a movie about Napoleon? Uh, I know what happened there, and it's not interesting to see that on in a movie. It's way more interesting to watch a movie about someone I had no idea existed and is actually really weird and fascinating. So if you're kind of tired of the biopic genre... Uh, you want something a little fresh, I would recommend this. Um, just celebrated its 20-year anniversary. So check it out. It's on Max. So pretty good. But that's it. That's it for my uh, part of the, the show, I guess. I have some music stuff, and uh, I have something later that I went on a little bit of a rabbit hole is not related to entertainment at all or pop culture at all impossible i know uh it's just kind of a weird thing that i uh <laughs> did today instead of watching another movie i uh went down a little bit of a rabbit hole so i'll talk about it because it's weird and uh fascinating but unrelated so if you want to you know tap out early after the music segment that's okay but 
We'll move on now to the music segment hosted by James W. Babby. That's me. Um, we got a wide array of things this week. Oh, yeah. So we'll see where we want to start. Um, we'll start with Caroline Polachek. Oh. Uh, she released the deluxe of the Desire I Want to Turn Into album on Valentine's Day. So, oh. uh, yeah, I podcast timing on that. But, um, yeah, I talked about the Butterfly Net remix with Wise Blood um, last oh, week yeah. because that came out before this thing. And then, yeah, it came out. It's got, uh, well, one of them is a single from last year, but it's got six new tracks on it. Um, and they are all pretty fantastic. Um, I think this is a deluxe done right in every sense of the word. Cause like it adds to the experience of this album a lot. Um, I, I don't know how these were left off the main record. I'm just guessing they were made after the record came out because some of these are like too good to not be on the original. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm thinking about Coma in particular. This song is fantastic. It's got, it's essentially a breakbeat song with her just going crazy vocally over the top of it, and it's it's incredible. Um, but yeah, we have Dang is the first one. Um, that was a single she released last year, I believe. That song's okay. I'm not the biggest fan of it. It's a little annoying. Oh, I haven't heard it. Maybe that's just me, though. Um, it feels like TikTok bait, but I know it's not because that's not what she does. Um, but to me, that's what it came across of. Uh, but then we got spring is coming with a strawberry in the mouth. I think that's a cover. I don't know who it's covering, but it's really, really fantastic. Um, it's interesting how like hard she went on the vocals on this deluxe. Um, I know the, the, you know, one of the main shining factors of this record is how good the vocals are because, oh my God, she's insane. Um, but she's still doing it on this thing. Um, so that song's fantastic. Uh, yeah. Coma is probably my favorite off of these. It's just got such a good energy to it. It's insane. Um, so amazing gambler's prayer. Amazing. And then she does the, she does an, I believe, uh, acoustic version to round it out, which is really, really, really good. Um, I believe was one of my favorites on the record. Um, and I think the acoustic version is as good, if not better. Okay. So she killed this thing. Uh, I rated this higher than the original album because I think it does add, this is like a, this is definitely a Denzel Curry deluxe situation mm. um, where it definitely added a lot to the, to the table. Um, so check that thing out. It's so good. I will. It's fantastic. I didn't know it um, Yeah. It's now my second highest album of the year. It doesn't oh. count technically, <laughs> <Yeah>. but <laughs> but the staying power, I suppose. Yeah, um, true. But yeah, it's so good. So check that out. Uh, yeah, really, really, really fantastic. I feel like artists do deluxe albums of way too much for extra streams. Um and there's a trend where it's like you release your album and then literally two days later you release a deluxe with like three more songs yeah. on it. It's like that's just like remixes. make us wait for it. Yeah. yeah. It's stupid. Um, but yeah, very, 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 very good. Check that out. Um, next we got the best single of the year and it's not on Spotify. Uh, Ethel Kane is oh. back momentarily. <laughs> uh, 
not for a particularly fun reason. Um, it's never fun when it's Ethel Kane, I suppose, though. Yeah. Uh, she has a new song from the river. Uh, this is a SoundCloud only song, it seems. Um, that's the only place I can find it. It's a nine and a half piano, nine and a half minute piano ambient kind of neoclassical piece. Uh, of course, referencing the Palestinian genocide going on. It's not a fun track, um, but oh my God, is it powerful. (laughs) It is so, so incredibly good. Um, And not just because the subject matter is like dead on. Um, I I think it's, I don't know, it's just like so, so dark. Um, It's hard to do. I was wondering when artists were going to start doing this. I feel like this usually starts happening whenever there's like a major like historical event like this um and obviously like artists don't do this for this uh specific event because uh spotify and streaming services do not like this um so i'm surprised she even put this out i'm glad she did though um it's really fantastic um and i feel like a lot of artists are pretty cowardly when it comes to speaking out honestly um because everything surrounding this genocide is like uh, the amount of like interwoven connectivity between the U.S. and Israel is insane. Because like everything has an Israeli lobby attached to it. Um, I mean, even BDS is illegal in like twenty-eight states. Um, so it's impossible to like do something like this and not have it affect your bottom line. I think even the Grammys had someone say something like that, and they like cut cut her off immediately. During a Sinead O'Connor tribute, I think, which is just insane. <laughs> um, it's so mad. I, it makes me so mad. That's why I didn't talk about it. Um, but yeah, this song is absolutely incredible. It's some people call it kind of boring and like a non-song, um, but I think there's a very specific thing you have to do when you make music for a certain thing like this, because like, what do you even like? say what do you even convey in the music it it turns in this very ambient piano piece that's like incredibly intimate um the lyrics are simple they're clear uh and her vocals are like haunting um and everything just comes out emotionally throughout the nine and a half minutes it's a slow burn but the it's just so pungent throughout all of it um and i think this is the perfect way to go about it like it's very, very difficult to even express how you get these feelings on a track, but something so minimal and purposeful with a piano is, I think, the best way to do it, and it comes across so well. Um, so this song is amazing. It's fantastic. I wish more artists would you know, speak on this um, because it's not talked about enough at all. Yeah, uh, well, you're going to so. get blacklisted. Yes, absolutely. That's that's the big thing is yeah. you will get blacklisted from just about anything. So um, it takes, you know, it takes some guts to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and unfortunately, not a lot of people do. So, but incredible, incredible song. Very difficult to listen to, but check it out if you're interested um, because it is phenomenal. So big shout out to Ethel Kane. Uh, I, I still love Preacher Daughter. It's still a fantastic record. Um Looking forward to what she does next. I feel like she might have something this year. That came out in 2022. So I think that's still on our fan wheel. I don't know if you'd get much out of that record, but we might do a reaction to it eventually. <laughs> you mean it is like very it. slow, like incredibly uh, slow. 
Yeah, I might not then. So slow that it is classified as slow core. Oh, yeah, I don't <laughs> like that. But it's gorgeous. Um, so, yeah, that was pretty great. Next, I think we're digging into albums next. So if you want to do your music stuff real quick before we dig into that. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, so we got some some news about uh, a new Lizzie McAlpine record. Uh, it's coming out on April 5th. Uh, older is what it's called. And uh, if the lead single is indicative of what the album is going to be like, then... Um, we are in for an absolute, like, slammer. And I mean that in a really sad way. Um, I think it's playing on themes that she has covered on the 13th tracks of both of her last albums, because uh, her dad died in 2020, I think, from COVID. Um, so the 13th song on... Both Five Seconds Flat and Give Me a Minute have been dedicated to her dad. But this one is, uh, this album seems to be um, kind of going over the theme of, well, her mom is getting older now and kind of coming to grips with the upcoming loss and just kind of like being on your own once both of your parents are dead. So it's like this lead song is so sad <laughs> and uh, now I'm just I'm really excited because those songs that she's dedicated to her dad are my favorite songs on on both of the last albums. And if we're getting a whole album of this, exploring this theme, really kind of interesting. Uh, I am in 110 percent. I don't know if it's going to make for a good reaction. It, I don't know. Uh, maybe. Maybe. It'll be different uh, because, I don't know, it's just weird for, like, the lead single to be this really slow, sad piano ballad type thing because um, that that's not what I would lead with if that's not what the album is going to be. Um, and it seems like she's kind of uh, being very selective on where she's touring. She has been pretty public about that touring has been a really negative experience for her and so I think like the tour for this album is like 10 stops in America and a couple spots in Europe other than that's it um so like she's barely touching the midwest she's going to the hinterland festival in Iowa and that's it um so which is good for us <laughs> <laughs> it is good for us i'm not going to that festival but um yeah so i i did want to shout that out because it's really good um but i've also been listening to uh the new adrian lanker single sadness as a gift uh it came out last month um i'm only just coming around to it now um but I have barely um, really listened to Big Thief, uh, which is a shame because I think I would like them a lot. Um, but this, this appears to be sad cowboy core, um, and I'm in. It, this, this song is great. So if you have not heard Sadness as a Gift, I would recommend checking it out. I think there's three singles out 
now. One of them came out today, as of us recording, um, which I have not listened to. But really good. We might listen to that one on the channel, too. But yeah. that's it. Dragon that's it. New Warm Mountain, I believe, and whatever is fantastic. <laughs> so. Yeah, I need to listen to it. Yeah, you could do a reaction to that album if you wanted to. It's an hour 20, but it's, it's a ride. Um, yeah. yeah. We, we might do that on the channel. Okay. I mean, I've listened to half of it. Yeah. Oh, oh, the, yeah. the new one. Yeah. Yeah, we'll probably do the new one. Um, I've been meaning to get into her solo stuff. I just have not yet. Pretty good from the one song yeah. I heard. All righty. I got two albums. Uh, my list this year is so weird. Um, <laughs> we're going to start with Quadeca. Uh, oh, Quadeca. Yes. Okay. Um, I talked about his 2022 record, I Didn't Mean to Haunt You. Uh, mm -hmm. That was the first music I've listened to him, uh, from him. Um, he is a former YouTube rapper. Yeah. Uh, turned into actual musician, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I enjoyed I didn't mean to haunt you. Um, it was pretty good, technically. I enjoyed the, the exploration and the experimentation of it. Um, it didn't really have a staying power with me too much. Um, I don't know. There was some weird disconnect there where I'm like, I'm not like, I really am impressed about what's going on here, but I'm not sure if I would like to listen to it a whole lot. Mm. Um, but it, it is a good record. I, I love the kind of dipping into the folktronica and art poppy glitch, that kind of all stuff. Uh, I think the concept was a little bit too, like, for me on that record. Yeah. Um, but he's got a new one here, uh, Scrapyard. And it's a mixtape, apparently. Um, I don't know. I think the, the quality of this screams album. But if it's a mixtape, it's a mixtape. Uh, this is basically, he did three EPs last year. Um, and I think he piled all those together and added some new stuff and put, but this is the big mixtape. Um, so we got 15 tracks, 46 minutes. Um, it's got the same kind of folktronica, you know, art poppy glitch stuff that the last record did. Um, but it's a little bit more loose. It's a little bit less tied down by a overarching narrative. Um, and I think it turns out pretty well for the most part. Uh, it's the hardest part talking about this record because I've listened to it twice fully now and I still can't pick out like any single song, um, mm. which I don't know if it's a good or a bad thing about it. Uh, I think the production choices are really great. Um, it's, it's a very almost awkward pairing of sounds. Um, he does a really good job with like distortion and auto-tune and stuff like that. Um, and I think the soundscapes of these songs are really, really gorgeous, but I don't think I like him as a vocalist. I think that's mm. my biggest issue with his music. Um, I just can't get over his voice, which is really strange because it's not anything like too eccentric or out there. Um, I don't know. There's something a little bit too whiny about it for me. It reminds me of like the parts of Brockhampton that I'm not too big on, um, I think that's the best way to put it. It's like two zoomer almost for me. Wow. <laughs> and it's really weird um, because I do really, really, really love the ideas here. And I love the production on these tracks. Um, songs like pretty privilege are fantastic with the way he's playing with that guitar. Um, I don't know. Some of these songs blend together a little bit too much, I think. 
in my opinion. Um, I'm sure on further listens, I'll be able to actually differentiate what song is which, but he's got some string arrangements on here that are fantastic. The mixing on this record is great. Um, and there's a lot of fantastic ideas. I think just him being on here so much and his vocals being so forward and his inflections being so weird, I think that's where I get, like, it's a little, I'm still not, like, in there, in there with his music. Um, it's a little bit too emo rap for me. I think that's what it is. Because mm. there's still those elements of emo rap that come through pretty big. And I'm never too big into the whiny SoundCloud emo style. Um, I always found it a little bit too melodramatic, even though I do love some melodramatic stuff. It just doesn't connect. Um, but there are some really fantastic songs. Uh, I think uh, Texas Blue with Kevin Abstract, the closer, is amazing. Um, didn't know how Kevin Abstract was going to work with him, and they work really, really well together, actually. I mean, it makes sense. I can feel some kind of Brockhampton influence on this, but, like, when these two link up, it is just, it's a fantastic song. If there's any song you take out of this record, it's got to be this one. Um, I think it does go on a little bit too long, too. It's 46 minutes, but it sounds like an hour. Hmm. I don't know why that is. Um, it, I don't know. It, there's, like, so many good textural elements, but I feel like nothing stands out enough where, like, the songs differentiate them stu- themselves enough. Um, but with that being said, it's a really, really, really solid record. Um, I'll definitely be revisiting it more to try to, like, see if I can get it to click a little bit more. Um, I think you tried that thing when you're hu- when you're human. That track is, like, really, really cool. Uh, straight, like, shoo almost. It's very unsettling. Um but that works really well. I think vocally he does really great on that track. Um, I think Guess Who almost is my other favorite. Uh, that's just like a straight banger. Like, I think this is his best vocal performance is a song like that where it is more rap-centric, but he's able to like still play with these auto-tune vocals mm. because that song just goes so hard. This bot, he's like a lot, a lot of other artists when they try to do like a banger song on their record. Um and it's so funny, like, because he was a YouTube rapper, and then he turns into something like this. Like, this washes the entire YouTube rap community out of the water. Um, but, yeah, it's a really great record. Uh, it, it's still, there's a little bit of a disconnect for me, but I understand that it's, like, my personal things getting in the way of me, like, not enjoying it as much. Um, I'm still trying to overcome his vocals. But, yeah, it's it's really good. So check it out if you're into this more, like, it's very online. It's a very, like, music nerdy album. I feel like sometimes there's certain albums that are just like music nerd website bait because stuff like this just gets eaten up from those communities. Yeah. Um, Cause you get all the elements from like something like the microphones and death grips and JPEG mafia and neutral milk hotel and you mm. get all these and throw them together and that's what you get. So I feel like sometimes it's like it pulls a little bit too much on all those influences and just kind of becomes muddy to me. It doesn't have an identity of its own sometimes. Sure. Um, but with all that being said, it's it's a solid record. A big props to him. I'm, it's really cool seeing an evolution of someone like him um, and coming up and like really finding his his sound and his artistry. So it's it's a really great record. Um, so check it out. All right. Okay. This is. Whew, let's do it. Okay. Oh boy, do we have another Kanye situation? No. Okay. <laughs> We're talking about Yeet. Why did you have to brace yourself to talk about Yeet? I'm talking about Yeet. Okay. Um, 
I think Yeet has the best hip hop record of the year so far. <laughs> what? Yeah. Um, 2093, new album. First album I've listened to by Yeet. First thing I've listened to by Yeet besides Rich Minion, his 2022 <laughs> classic for the Minion movie. <laughs> <laughs> that song is fantastic. Um, yeah, this is an hour and 10 minutes. It is 22 tracks, and it is a Trap Rage album, and I enjoyed it quite a bit. Um Apparently, this is a left turn for him. I have not listened to any of his other music, so I can't tell what his sound was before this. I just know that he had, like, really, really, really weird vocal inflections and that his lyrics didn't make sense because he was just, like, making up words. Um, yes. Which is cool. <laughs> but I haven't heard those. <laughs> but something like this, I got so mad last week because, like, Vultures was supposed to be fun and it was a horrific, painful experience. Um, made by a painfully, it's Kanye West. Uh-huh. Ew. Um, this is fun, crazy, weird. Uh, this is what it was trying to be, I think. It's this dark trap rage kind of experience. Uh, I feel like I don't like this genre that much. I feel like Playboy Cardi is the big exception because I feel like he's very eccentric and has a good grasp on everything i think die lit and a lot of red are fantastic obviously um i'm not too big on into like travis scott i think astroworld's pretty good rodeo's pretty good um but it's not records i return to a whole lot and it's not a genre that draws me in i feel like most of the time not not including the artists i just mentioned but i feel like most of the time it's like half-baked ideas and albums that run way too long um but this one here he had a concept and he he definitely ran with it um, the concept being 2093 future, that's it. Uh, and it works because it sounds futuristic for the whole thing. And it's weird and fun and quirky. Um, it definitely took me, I, I listened to the full thing like two or three times. Uh, the first time I was like, okay, that was cool. Nothing grabbed me though. Second time I'm like, oh my God, this is great. Third time I played it in the car and I'm like, this is where you're supposed to play it. Um, but it's a lot of fun. Like the production is really great. It is like cinematic to a point where it's almost funny. Um, all of these beats sound like they're introing like a Batman game or like the Black Ops 3 uh, main menu music. It's very digital and like overly future dystopia. Um but in a way that's like kind of tongue in cheek and fun. Um, the drums across this record are just amazing. Um, the production's really great. Him as a vocalist is really bizarre. He's the most energetic, unenergetic person I've ever heard. He has <laughs> such a boring voice, but he works with that boring voice so well. <laughs> I don't understand. Um, yeah. It's so catchy. A lot of these, I mean, 22 tracks of this style, I'm like, please don't make an album that long. I feel like this album actually justifies its length. All of these songs are fun and different, and the production is varied enough where it's like you're on the edge of your seat to see what comes next because every time, every one of these songs has like a really, really, really nice intro and outro and there's a progression to it. Um, I feel like, again, this genre can fall into like a beat loop and not a lot of progression or energy shift as the track goes. Um, 
everything is very cinematic and really, really flows really well. There's there's really nice pockets where like certain tracks go hard and then it smooths out. Um, and there's a lot of like cool experiments across it. It's nothing like groundbreaking, obviously, but it's like, oh, that's really interesting. Um, and I think the biggest factor is it's just fun. It's really well made and it's fun. Um, we have Vultures and we have the little Sims EP who both <laughs> tried to do like more electronic dance drum type things with their albums. I think they both failed. Um, I think this is how you're supposed to do it. Like this is so, so, so fun. And the beats in like the EDM parts of this record that come in are like so surprisingly well made. Um, yeah, it, it's so, it's such a weird contrast because it, Yeet, Yeet kind of puts me as an artist who's like, kind of this drugged out, like we're making very simple, stupid music that goes hard. But I feel like there's a lot of thought and care into like the way this is arranged and composed. Um, I mean, it's 22 tracks. You have two features, one from Lil Wayne and one with Future, and they're both really great. Um, I think Breathe is uh, maybe my favorite. This song goes stupid. Uh, but you also have I Love, which is crazy. Uh, Riot and Set It Off, Team CEO, uh, Psycho Kane might be the best because the, the, the chorus is literally just, I forgot <laughs> and it's so good. <laughs> this is a, it's a strange year. Um, yeah, I think this is the best hip hop album to come out this year so far. Um, I don't know how long it's going to last at there. Uh, this to me is more surprising than Lil Yachty being my album of the year for like the first three months last year. Just because, like, I already knew who Liliati was a little bit, and it was just yeah. a little left turn in the music that made it surprising. This is like, I like this guy for the Minion song, and I haven't <laughs> listened to any of his records. And then he drops this thing, and I'm like, oh my god, this is really good. Um, and everybody seems to be feeling the same way. Everybody's uh, hyping up Eat for this thing. So wow. it's kind of crazy how uh, Kanye West and Ty Dolla Sign did a collab album, and they released that last week. And there's a YouTube rapper and Yeet that are both infinitely better than that. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a strange time. Um, but yeah, listen to Yeet 2093. It is really, really, really good. Which one? It's really fun. Uh, oh, yeah. That's the stupid part. <laughs> you did the thing where you release a deluxe like two days after. <laughs> it was um, the day after. Yeah. Don't do that. <laughs> it's just 2093 part two. I don't. Um, I don't understand. It doesn't even. I don't. There's know. only two more tracks. <laughs> I know, and, and they're, they're like not sprinkled even the in end. between. Yeah. <laughs> okay, that's stupid. Don't do that. There's a song with Drake in there. What? Okay, I actually love this. How you put Drake on your deluxe and not the main record. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you're the throwaway track I'm putting on. That's, that's kind of crazy. I've also had Yeet on my radar because he watched Drake on his own song on a. Uh, for all the dogs, and then it became a meme. Uh, I, I still enjoy that. I don't listen to that song at all, but I still love that moment from last year where Yeet washes Drake on his own song, and then Drake sounds like a cheerleader like backing up Yeet during his verse. <laughs> That's, uh, and I didn't know about that. Yeah, it's funny. Just like the lead out and lead in of his verse on that feature is like some of the most like unintentionally funny things you can get. Um, yeah, huge surprise. Um, but 
I'm into it. I've been listening to a lot of artists I haven't listened to this year so far, and it's been really fun. Uh, yeah, uh, pretty good. So check it out if you're in that realm. I got Cemetery vibes, kind of. He's like Cemetery if he toned it down a lot and went futuristic instead of uh, scary mode. Um, same kind of like mind-numbing feel, but at the same time, like, this goes so hard. It's hard to describe. I guess that's just kind of what the rage genre is supposed to be, but I don't know. I, I think this and Rainbow Bridge 3 are bar for bar. I think they're both really great, and they do the same purpose. One's just a lot freakier and uh, probably can't put it in the car as much. Um, Which one? With other people, at least. Oh. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Rainbow Ridge 3 is also great. So that, w- that was like my, my lead into this genre because I'm like, that record was really, really, really fun. And then this kind of matches it. So, And the, their vocal inflections get kind of similar sometimes because Yeet also does the... Sometimes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, I like that. Um, so, yeah. I think that's all I have for this week. It was a very uh, wide array of things, but it's it's... This, this year has had a much better start. We're, we're like two months in, and I've already got a lot of records I've listened to, which is nice. Um, a lot of them are different, too. I've gotten two metal records, almost three metal records down already. Uh, yeah. So we got MGMT this Friday. We'll be yeah. doing a video on that, so expect that next week. That should be pretty fun. Um, other than that, we yeah, we have that Adrian Laker uh, album that will come out next month, so we might we'll probably do that. Um, we have School by Q at the beginning of March. I'll be talking about that at length once that comes out. I'm so excited for that. He's been releasing a whole bunch of, uh, I don't know if there are like singles on the record or if it's just like little teasers. I feel like that's a new thing now where people are just putting teasers on YouTube that don't go on the actual record, um, which is weird, but it seems like all these are actually on the record. Um, but the two singles I've heard from it are fantastic. So very, very excited for that. Um, yeah. I think that's it. That's it. Yeah, the, that schoolboy cue, that's TDE coming back to life a little bit. Yes. Interesting. Okay, I didn't know that was coming out already. It's a couple weeks yeah, away. They're actually doing something. Who would have thunk it? Not me. Me neither. Hopefully SZA's next. Even though she just dropped last year, I want another She's one She's supposed already. to. I don't know when this year, but she's supposed to. I hope so. Well, I actually, uh, before we get into the rabbit hole, it was actually just announced that uh, tomorrow, as of us recording this, uh, the Elden Ring DLC is getting a, a gameplay reveal trailer. So. Oh, boy. Yeah, I mean, it's been like two years, so I guess it's about time. Uh, hard to think that that Bill Clinton kid is already 35 years old. <laughs> he already has two children. <laughs> I know. Did you hear, speaking of, uh, I don't know why this made me think of John Hinckley Jr. Uh, did you hear that he's making like folk music now? Yes. I think we talked about this. We did? Um, off air. Oh. Yes. Yes, that's. <laughs> I think he was posting it on YouTube, like right when he got out. That's right. <laughs> that's right. Which is awesome. I don't know why that made me think of that, but I just saw that. I saw a picture of him in like a park with an acoustic guitar, 
as like an album cover or something. I'm like this is <laughs> this is weird. <laughs> but I I do dig it. Hopefully there's songs like I shot Reagan and I don't regret it or something. Like, I should have brought a bigger gun. <laughs> yeah, like full Sufjan Stevens, like two sentences as a song title. That'd be awesome. That's what I want. But, yeah. Also, uh, we I didn't bring up, because neither of us are big Beatles fans, but it was announced that they're making four Beatles biopics. Maybe, may, yeah, yeah, one for each member. Can we just, like, let the Beatles... <laughs> I don't want to say die... But, like, can we let the Beatles as a band just, like, die? I feel like it's been clinging on for way too long. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, like, they're important to music's legacy, I guess. But it's, like... Yeah, but they're not that important. <laughs> no. You know? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But it's it's they're all directed by Sam Mendes, who did like 1917 and American Beauty, like an actual respected director is doing these four biopics. I think they're all set to release in 2027. Uh, the only one I'm interested in is the Ringo one, obviously. Of course. I hope they go full on into the Microsoft Paint uh, era. The modern era. All the other Beatles are going to be like, when John was shot, I was so sad. And then Ringo's going to be like, oh, I've been making some art on the Microsoft Paint. And it looks, <laughs> looks pretty good. Yeah, I've been seeing people be like, yeah, you know, the Paul movie is going to be, the Paul and John and George movies are going to be like really dramatic, thoughtful, mm-hmm. you know, emotional think pieces. And then the Ringo one is just going to be a lark, you know. And I agree. I think that's going to be fun. No other way. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't really care. I just it it happened this week. So, I don't know. Kind of interesting that they're each getting a biopic. It's kind of amazing that a studio greenlit a Ringo Starr biopic. But I guess go off whoever funded that. Um. I hope Ringo is heavily involved. That's all I ask. But now we'll go into my little bit of a rabbit hole. It has nothing to do with pop culture, entertainment, or art at all. Kind of. Actually, there is a song, which is how I found it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And uh, are you familiar with an artist named Emperor X? Emperor X. I I wouldn't imagine you would be because he has 30,000 monthly listeners. Okay. I I guess he's like a a folk guy from like the early aughts and tens. I don't know if he really does stuff anymore. But I was watching a video from Boy of the Week, Jeffiet. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly. But I found his videos uh, yesterday, and uh, yeah, he kind of blew up recently. Like, he had 5,000 subscribers up until, like, a month ago when he did, like, a deep dive into, like, the Doot Doot skeleton gif. Um, 
basically like a Roblox oof thing that H bomber guy did, but like trying to get to the bottom of who created that because we didn't know for a really, really long time. And he found out that video blew up, whatever. I, that's not how I found him. I just want to, that's actually one of the later videos I saw. I was watching, he did a, uh, Wikipedia iceberg, Wiki, like weird Wikipedia page iceberg video. And I was watching that and he was talking about this, uh, this, uh, um, I don't know what to call it. Um, movement, uh, thing that happened in the eighties and up until now, uh, the Ray cat movement, uh, which is a, a <laughs> basically in the eighties, when we were like, hey, we've been burying a bunch of radioactive stuff in holes in random places. We should probably, like, think of a way to how to mark those for people maybe who, like, live, like, thousands of years into the future. And, like, our language and everything about our culture is completely wiped off the face of the earth. Maybe we should figure out a way, like a universal way to mark these sites so that like, Hey, don't dig here because if you do, you're going to develop tumors and die. Um, and so in the eighties, they were trying to, um, like genetically engineer cats to glow if, uh, they got near radioactive material. Um, I don't know if they were successful, but I think I have heard somewhere of like bioluminescent cats. So I don't know. But basically the idea was, hey, let's introduce a genetic thing into the cat population where basically they would glow if they uh, introduced to radioactivity. And then over time, that's going to become like the genetic norm. So like 10,000 years from now, when a bunch of humans are just wandering nomads, because that's what's going to happen, I guess. They're, they're going to be, uh, yeah, I guess. I don't know. It's just kind of, <laughs> I don't know. Um, they're going to be wandering around and they're going to be like, hey, let's dig a hole right here. Uh-oh, the cat is glowing. You know what that means? Turn around and... The reason that we know that that's going to be a thing is because we have an Emperor X song to listen to that everybody knows that was made 8,000 years ago. But uh, yeah, the song is called 10,000 Year Old Earworm to Discourage Resettlement Near Nuclear Waste Repositories. A Sufian? Yeah, it's a, it's a Sufian thing. Um <laughs> It's um, It was an EP released in 2014. Uh, it just has this song in it. It's not even two minutes long. It's all campfire chords. I, I learned how to play it on the guitar already. It took me like two seconds. Um, and uh, it, yeah, it's just like this little folk song. Basically, the idea behind this folk song is that like the cats, this song would... I guess be introduced into our culture and then we would just continue passing it along. Like, uh, 
I don't know, like an oral history or something, but like a song gets passed generation to generation to generation so that in the future when there's these wandering nomads wanting to dig holes in the in the dirt, well, this song has like the running lyric is like, uh, don't change your color, kitty. Uh, well, actually, let me see what the subtitle is. Uh, yeah, don't change. <laughs> I literally just said it. Uh, don't change color, kitty. Um, and so we would all know, uh-oh, the cat is turning colors. I know from that Emperor X song that we all love that that means that we should not live here. We should move away. And so that's basically it. I was just, I didn't know that this was a thing and the song kind of slaps, which I mean, it's designed to, it's designed to like stick in your head a little bit. Um, but what's weird about this EP is that it's not even six minutes long. It's, uh, <laughs> that's the lead track is the 10,000 year old earworm. And then there's simulated geological Aeolian warning system. It's just like a warning siren. And then simulated lithoacoustic repeller emitter. It's just like a really high pitched squeal. And then there's an extremely lossy, compressed, 10,000-year-old acapella earworm to discover to discourage settlement near nuclear waste repositories, which is basically the same song, but with a weird filter over it and no guitar. I don't know. I, there's no real point to this. I just kind of went into this, and I thought it was kind of interesting that this exists. And the album cover is like a sketch of how they deposited the radioactive materials and holes. I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's a, something I had never thought of. And I just thought I would introduce it to the world, AKA our audience of millions of people. Hundreds of millions. Hundreds of millions even. Or billions. So listen to the 10,000-year-old earworm, sing it for your kids, hopefully they sing it to their kids, and then we'll know, the human race will know, once there's like dozens of us on the planet, that, that's it, you know, because of a nuclear war or climate change or whatever, there's probably going to be some stragglers that built a bunker, and once... Those are all, the only people that are left. We all know that they're listening to this Emperor X song and the, the human race is going to live on because of this song and glowing cats. You know, we're, I'm going to be adopting a cat soon, so I think Emperor X is, you know, that, that'd, be a, that'd be a deep cut name. That would be a very deep cut name. <laughs> uh, yeah, it would be. Um, but yeah. I would recommend it. I did. There is a, a website called the RayCatSolution.com where you can get merch about the cats that glow. Sick. So you can go there. Um, yeah, I, I feel like I've barely scratched the surface with this because, yeah, I think there's like even more to it where like there's been designs for like signs or, or some other way to like notify people that like don't use language and it's all like facial expressions which are all kind of weird 
out of context. I would recommend looking up those as well because they're, you know, kind of fun. It's like, you know, I don't know if you've ever looked into this at all, but it's, it's similar to like, I've looked into like what the signals are that like NASA or other space organizations like sending up to like represent humanity. It's kind of that vibe from like what I'm, what I'm gathering, except a very, very niche problem that realistically won't affect anyone for a, a hot minute at best. So yeah, I don't know. Kind of interesting. Uh, I just thought I would talk about it since I didn't have any other movies to talk about this week. So there you go. Get a Ray cat. I don't know if they they exist. Um, not yet. Not yet. I know I've seen pictures. I, I, <laughs> um, uh, I, I know I have seen images of bioluminescent cats. I just don't know if they're real. Um, I think, oh, okay. Do your yes. own research. Yes. Okay. It is a thing. It is a thing. They were, yes. These pictures were released in like the early 2010s. I remember seeing them around then. So apparently they were doing something with AIDS research that time. I don't know why we keep making cats glow for different reasons, but I guess it's easy to make cats glow. Somehow, I don't understand it. I, I think it's like a protein in jellyfish that they glow near something. Probably. You just insert that protein into a cat embryo and bada bing, bada boom, glowing cat. I don't know why a cat. It just, this is all like, I don't understand <laughs> the choices being made. Um, I'm just uh, a little flabbergasted, to be honest. But that's my little tangent, my little uh, rabbit hole I went down. Uh, check out uh, Jeffy's channel. It has a lot of good stuff. Uh, comedy sense aligns with me almost entirely, which is maybe questionable to a lot of people, but I, I do enjoy his. If you're listening to this, you'll tolerate it enough. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's... I, yeah, I don't really know how to describe it. It's just this very unique comedy sense and styling that I have. I don't want to put it like that. I don't know. I, I just have a, a, a weird sense of humor, and this guy gets it. So check it out. He's also Swedish, so if, if that's your thing. Ew. Yeah, I don't know. I don't care. Uh, I thought he was British at first, uh, and then it kept going. And I'm like, oh, wait, no, that sounds... Hello. <laughs> yeah. uh, they're all Northern European. They all kind of blend together a little bit. But he doesn't really have a pronounced accent. It's not like an early PewDiePie video or something where it's like, oh, wow, that is that is very Swedish. Very Swedish. <laughs> no. Um, so check it out. Check out the Doot Doot video. It's pretty interesting. I'm not going to spoil it. I don't know. Kind of fun. So that's that. That's it for the podcast this week. Next week. Dune? When does Dune 2 come out? March? Uh, 
Dune 2 comes out on March 1st. Great. So We should have done the boy time feature on the day of Lynch Dune. So then we just have the wrong Dune. <laughs> <laughs> Theoretically, we still could. I'd rather watch a good David okay. Lynch Dune. <laughs> I'll watch the David Lynch Dune for next week. Yeah, you'll, you'll do a David Lynch double feature. Yeah, I'll do that. I know Dune, the, the David Lynch one is on Mac, so it's readily accessible. Yeah. So I'll just do that. It's kind of fun that both Dunes are on the same platform. Don't get them confused. Very different. I should probably rewatch the first Dune, too, because I barely remember anything about it. Yeah, I remember enjoying that movie and not knowing anything going on the whole time. So even even though it's, it's really weird experience, <laughs> even though the entire thing is just exposition. Yes. <laughs> but from what I've heard, the David Lynch one does has the same problem. Great. So I'll report back next week. So you have that to look forward to. Other than that, check out our MGMT video coming out next week. Check out our video on the new Little Sims EP and Mike Monkey album. I don't remember what it's called. Um, but you saw the video. It came out. It's called Beware of the Monkey. Good record. So if you're into rap. Good music. Yeah. <laughs> Check out our YouTube channel if you haven't. We make uh, introspective kind of thought-provoking, philosophical-driven videos about albums. Records, even. I cry once an episode. That's a guarantee. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not at all related to, like, the cayenne pepper concentrate that you have on your desk. No, of course not. The algorithm just really likes it when you, like, cry on video. So I just do it. That's true. It's true. We found that out when we were reviewing a really sad album, The Crow yeah. Looked at Me or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And ever since then, we've just done the same thing over and over again. <laughs> uh, we haven't actually done that record. Not yet. Not yet. I don't know if I want to do that on camera. <laughs> yeah. Like, we can. <laughs> I don't know. But. That's it. Bye.